Script Actors. Welcome back, everyone, to Real People Not Actors. It is our penultimate episode of the season. I am joined alongside my co-host and our guest for the day, Dylan Evans. How you doing, Dylan? Gotta say, that sounds very strange, but it is true. (laughs) Here we are. This is also episode number 13. We are officially teenagers. Lucky number 13. What's up? What's going on, Bailey Green? Bailey, it was your birthday on the weekend. It and was. And I feel like we have to talk about that before we dive into anything else. Of course. Uh, this was a big one for you. It was. And also, I saw a fantastic photo of you. You got all dressed up. You're wearing a stunning dress. Can you tell me how you celebrated your birthday? Yes, I celebrated my birthday with lots of good food and wonderful phone calls and FaceTimes and messages from some really amazing, amazing people that I'm lucky to have in my life. I had some lovely surprises, um, courtesy of my wonderful partner, Jeff. Um, What were some of the surprises? Um, Macarons. So uh, he ordered macarons from Nadej, which is one of our favorite uh, bakeries in Toronto. And also macarons is kind of like an art. It's like our special celebration um, dessert. Like we don't get macarons. Well, sometimes we do, but generally we've, we get them as like a special celebratory thing. Um, yeah, it was just like, and then I got dressed up and we had a little, little party, a little gathering, a little virtual gathering, virtual gathering. Um, <laughs> you know, you would think that wouldn't be a question anymore, but <laughs> Every time I see someone post a picture on Instagram or Facebook and it's them in a group of people, I always look to see if they put like throwback or whatever. I know. (laughs) Because I think it's very dangerous right now to post a picture like that. You are, you risk people coming after you. I also feel like people are, uh, like a lot of people on my birthday wishes on my wall were like, I hope you're having a socially distanced birthday. I'm like, of course I am. No way in hell. Like, would I, like, no, actually, I invited everyone over for a party. But again, I mean, we laugh about that. But as we know, there are some yahoos out there making some really (laughs) straight up dumb choices right now. Uh, But yes, Yes. had a wonderful birthday. Uh, It was full of, it it was really, really heartwarming. I thought it was going to be really tough um, to celebrate a milestone birthday in quarantine, but. It was really wonderful, and I felt really loved and really lucky, and it was great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, I put on lipstick and a dress, and it was exciting. Yeah, it looked like you are going out. It was great. I know. <laughs> That's why I like the little shark bed in the corner of the Instagram. It's like, but I'm still at home. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's my cat's shark bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of cats, um, I have a little bit of a story here for you Tell before me. we dive in. Yes. So I fulfilled a lifelong dream of mine oh. uh, recently of owning a beanbag chair. Yes, you've mentioned I've that was a dream. Always wanted one because as we know, and it's been scientifically proven, beanbag chairs are known to increase productivity by 40% and increase creativity by 600%. It's just science. I'm, I'm just quoting scientific facts. Just science. So I've always wanted a beanbag chair. I ended up getting one. Life was great. And then the other night, Sam and I are getting ready to watch a movie. Uh, you know, we, we have our, our treats ready. We have a little smoke. And we hear Pepper using the litter. 
And I looked over to the litter, and she wasn't in the litter box, but I could hear the sound of, like, her litter. And then we walked into the living room. No. And, yeah, she was on top of the beanbag chair, and poor girl, she thought that the beanbag chair was stuffed with litter because it makes the exact same sound. And she peed on the beanbag chair. Uh, sorry for anyone, this is a bit of a bit gross. Uh, but the pee soaked all the way through the beanbag chair. And so we spent the next hour cleaning the beanbags. Or sorry, the, the beans out of the beanbag chair. There are like 1.5 billion beans inside this chair. You didn't just cut your losses. No, we salvaged the outer bag and we threw it into the laundry machine. And we threw out all the beans that were inside. Wow. Yeah, it was an adventure. It was awful. That's a real bummer. Yeah, that's a big yeah. bummer. Pet ownership, uh, cats, dogs, and many other animals. It's uh, it's not exactly glamorous, you know? No, but it, it was not. It's full of joy, except for that moment where you're cleaning out 1.5 million beans. Wow. 1.5 billion, actually. Oh, sorry, sorry. Got yeah, the you missed a couple decimal points. <laughs> wow, that is, that is rough. That is rough. But besides that, yeah. quarantine... How you doing? It's good. Everything is good right now. Uh, I also just want to shout out uh, one of our listeners, Katie, as well, mm-hmm. who reached out to us. I want to shout out Katie and anyone else who's quarantining alone right now. Hopefully this next hour we get to hang out with you and, uh, you know, keep you company. So that's that's our goal right now. Yeah, it's so wonderful to hear from you when we do. And yeah, we're really feeling the love. So hope this episode brings you some joy. Um, Hopefully. I got to say, I'm a little bit nervous right now. I was about to ask. I'm like, how are you feeling? I'm good. I'm feeling good. I'm, I'm, I just had my Reese's Pieces oh, and yeah. I've got a decadent coffee right here. So I'm ready to go. I, I, I feel prepared. Wonderful. But I am nervous. You're going to be great. You're go- I, I relate to the feeling as do our previous guests. Uh, so we're all rooting for you. Uh, great. Without further ado. <laughs> Here's Dylan Evans. Your next guest is someone you've all been waiting for. He's an actor, a dancer, a podcast host, an improviser, and the original real person. He's a graduate of Ryerson's BFA acting program and has trained with Second City and Loose Moose. He's worked with The Howling Company, Lemon Tree Creations, Soul Pepper, Shakespeare Bashed, and Rock Bottom Movement. He's as handsome as he is funny. He's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. It's Dylan Evans. Wow, that was incredible, Bailey Green. Thank you. I I learned from the best. Wow, I literal chills. Literal <laughs> chills. So, right off the bat, you know, let's okay. let's deal with the obvious. This is our podcast. Yeah. Yes, it is. And and you've done some crazy things for this podcast. Like <laughs> running home from the gym to turn up the levels on Paolo's episode. Oh, um, God. you know, filling your bike's saddlebags with our equipment and biking all over the city to figure our life out. Um, What are some other crazy things you've done that I might not even know about uh, in service of real people, not actors? (laughs) Uh, Wow, what a great question. You know, (laughs) 
I think some one of the things that you might not know is actually something that happens underneath the surface, and that is just the the constant fear I have of the recording messing up. Oh yeah. So when we're recording with our guests, I will be glancing over at the computer every five seconds to see if the recording stopped or not. And that is an anxiety that I keep to myself because I don't want that to uh, bleed over to you. Yep. The other one is the buckets of sweat. <laughs> Uh, because, as you know, I'm biking everywhere and with the heavy equipment, I show up and usually uh, hugging our guests, which obviously we can't do right now and we're not, we don't have guests right now, but it usually is a little bit of a damp hug. <laughs> um, and probably the final one is just listening to the recordings multiple times to do the editing. Yeah. Which is something that is kind of hard to do when you're listening to your own voice. And th this episode in particular is probably really hard for me to edit because I don't always like listening to myself talk. Mm -hmm. So that is, is another one that's <laughs> a sacrifice I've had to make. It's getting over, getting over the fear of listening to myself. Yeah. When you're editing, are the funny moments still funny to you? Or do you just eventually stop laughing? You know, a no, couple I, passes I think through. <laughs> I think I generally uh, I have a smile on my face most of the time uh, something that we wanted to do when we were making this podcast was we wanted to make it fun and and very accessible and friendly to people and I find often when I'm listening back I, I do have a smile on my face so hopefully that also means that our our listeners do as well oh well I'd also love to know for you what is the best part about being a podcast co-host producer sound editor is it the glitz the glamour the fashion the fame um <laughs> what are some of your favorite things about all the roles you play on this podcast behind the scenes and uh and in front of the mic uh it's definitely not the fashion i'll tell you that because you know the listeners can't see what we're wearing no. and most most of the time it's it's sweats uh, <laughs> Uh, but uh, I'd say probably the, the, the best thing about doing this is learning new skills mm. because, you know, I'm sure you've, you've learned this as well as we've been doing this is we've had so many things mess up and we've had to be so creative in how we've problem solved. And I've had to learn editing skills that I, I never had before, even putting together social media posts, like for the quotes, the video quotes. Oh, my gosh, that was such an exciting day when you cracked that. Yeah, it, it's it's really fun. And you know what? YouTube really helps with that kind of stuff mm. because anytime I have a question, I can go onto YouTube and, and sort of figure it out. And I do enjoy problem solving. So yeah, I, I think the best thing about, about starting this project and doing so many different facets of, of producing is just developing these skills. You know, like we don't make money off of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're, 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 <laughs> Dylan. we're really we're doing <laughs> we're doing this for fun and because we love doing it and we want to help people out but also it's a great way to develop these skills and hopefully in the future um for myself and for you we can use these skills that we've developed and put them into practice in in, uh, in other ways yeah absolutely kind of building off that because you have i've watched you learn so many new skills as we've done this, um, what was what was 
perhaps like one of the most challenging things to learn and execute. And now like it's super rewarding because you know how hard you worked at it and you can see like that measurable progress there. What are, what are some of the things there that have really like, you may not have known how to do at all. And now you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. (laughs) Do you mean just in terms of, of the podcast itself? Yeah. Oh man, that's a really good. You know what I think it is? It's not even the technical side. I think it's just talking to people. Oh yeah, it, it it's learning like what excites people to talk about, because ultimately, as a host, you just need to get your guest to talk. So if you can bring up things that visibly excite them, mm-hmm. it makes it so much easier because then you're not just like prying and. And then they can relax a little bit and it becomes really fun. So I think the thing that I've learned the most that maybe at the beginning was was really tough uh, is just learning how to talk to people uh, and ask them questions that uh, elicit good responses. And I don't think I have it figured completely out yet. It's going to be something that develops over the course of, of a long period of time. Mm-hmm. But um, that is something that encourages me as we keep going forward. Yeah. I feel like whenever I listen to our episodes, like I'm playing detective a little bit. Like I'm always, and we've talked about this before, but there's, there's definitely a level of reflection as we listen back and enjoyment and dying at hearing your own voice a little bit. Um, But that's, (laughs) you know, a smidge. I think part of it too, is that you have to be genuinely curious about your guests. Yes. It's not about just like creating generic questions and asking them to the person. It's about genuinely having a uh, curiosity about the person and wanting to learn more about them. Yeah. 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 So a bit of a hard pivot here to your <laughs> origin story. Yeah. You know, everyone, another thing everyone's clamoring to know about. So you grew up in Toronto. Yeah. Moved to Calgary. Yeah. And now Calgary is, you know, home, home as in your family is mostly in Calgary. That's yeah? correct. Um, what are I have some family in Calgary. I've spent a little bit of time in Calgary, but I was younger and uh, I don't remember as much about it. So, what are some quintessential Calgarian things that you can only get back in Calgary and that you love when you go home? You know that says yes, I'm I'm back in the in the Gary. Is that is that what you would call it for short, the Gary? The no? Gary. I don't think I've ever heard anybody call it the Gary. The but... Calga, maybe. <laughs> It might catch on. I think Cowtown is more frequently used. Cowtown. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so to kind of answer your question, I'll I'll give people a little bit of backstory too. So I moved to Calgary when I was 12. I was born in Toronto. We moved out to Calgary because of my mom's work. And um, yeah, I fell in love with Calgary. It's, it's It's such a cool city because of its proximity to the mountains. And I think to answer your question, the things that I, th- I think of being quintessentially Calgary is being an hour away from just some of the most spectacular scenery on this planet. I would go out to the, the mountains, maybe not every weekend because I was busy. I had a lot of different activities growing up, but um, I would go skiing quite a lot and biking and the mountains are just... <laughs> You know, like when I think about Calgary, I I, I do miss it quite a lot, even though I, I love Toronto now, being back here again. But the mountains for sure is just, <laughs> there's nothing like them. Yeah. And, and Calgary too, 
I mean, I think it sometimes gets a bad rap from people east and and vice versa. People out west think of you know Toronto specifically as being kind of self-centered and we think we're the the center of the universe in Toronto but um I really like how it's it's more spread out you I feel like you can breathe there the sky is just huge you can see storms coming from so far away um you can see the Chinook winds and if you don't know what Chinook winds are it's essentially in the winter time there's warm mountain air that descends from the mountains and you can see a line in the sky of clouds being pushed as far as you can see from horizon to horizon basically clouds being pushed and it signals that warm air is coming in from the mountains so it could go from being minus 30 one day to being plus 15 the next because of these Chinook winds Whoa, Dylan, yeah. you're painting a beautiful picture. It's awesome. I love Calgary. If Calgary had the art scene that Toronto has, I would be I would be living there 100%. Wow, that's amazing. So you mentioned too that, you know, you had a lot of activities growing up. Did you mm-hmm. I know you're a hockey player. Did you yeah. play hockey growing up? Uh, yeah, absolutely yes. I did. So how, you know, do you trash talk? When you play hockey? And if yes, how has your theater training helped you become a more effective uh, trash talker on, on oh, the that's rink? A, such a good question, Bailey Green. I honestly could not have come up with a better question myself. Um, really good. So I did play hockey growing up. I played from probably the age of five, and, t- and I still play today. I, I play in a men's league now. Um, and trash talk I was never really particularly good at coming up with witty lines to insult people Mm -hmm. but I was really good at laughing off people who were trying to insult me which would usually usually enrage them even more (laughs) and I really got off on that Um, I was a really feisty player I'm I'm really gritty I, I skate fast I'm not really skilled at all but I, I always tried the hardest and I would block shots. Um, but <laughs> I, I, when people would get angry at me for being so gritty, uh, I would just respond by laughing it off. And I think the theater training uh, had really helped because <laughs> it helped me not uh, show that I was also getting a little bit shook underneath. Yeah. And I could have this calm exterior uh, to kind of throw them off their game a little bit more, you know? Nice, nice. Cool as a cuke, but not on the inside. <laughs> yeah. um, going off some hockey as well, you know, I heard a little rumor, and, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can name my source. It may have been Emilio Vieira. It may have been another person. Um, that you used to be a huge fan of the Calgary Flames. Yeah. The NHL team, for anyone who does not follow the hockey le sports. Um, but when you moved to Toronto, you ended up converting and um, to becoming a Leafs fan, Toronto Leafs fan. So why do you, uh, as the kids say, stan the Maple Leafs? And why should anyone, a.k.a. me, a Habs fan, care? <laughs> okay, well, I feel like Emilio is kind of calling my allegiances into check here. Yeah. Past well, guests. <laughs> Ghost of past guests. Come back. Come back for us. <laughs> Since I was born in Toronto, my first team was always Toronto. This is I true. Also, I also really liked Calgary because my parents also lived in Calgary before I was born. Ah. So my, my parents have kind of flipped between both cities uh, 
I guess, two times now. Um, so I, I had ties to Calgary, and, and so that's why I, I really fell in love with Calgary, and then we moved out there, became a huge fan, came back to Toronto. Obviously, I'm still a huge fan. Why should you care about Toronto? Let me tell you why you should care about the Toronto Maple Leafs. As she's rolling her eyes, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I cannot believe <laughs> the disrespect. Um, they just, they're beautiful. Oh. <laughs> I love them so much. I love each and every one of the players, I think. <laughs> like an unreasonable amount. <laughs> I, I don't know, Bailey Green. I don't know how to answer your question well, other than it just it fills my, my body with this warm feeling. And I become very proud and nostalgic when I think about the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I'm never going to be able to convince you to care about them. But uh, I can tell you that I, I really do. Oh, that's so pure. I mean, I, I definitely respect that. There's so much like mythology and um, kind of like magic around people who fall for sports teams. Uh, and like when I hear people talk about sports teams they love, I'm kind of like, oh, wow, I'm very much a bandwagon Habs fan. Uh, like if they're doing well, great. But otherwise, I'm not watching the games. I'm so sorry. But I, you know, I rep. I have a lot of gear. I grew up in Quebec. I went to Habs games as a little kid. Uh, side note, the only few Habs games I went to as a child, they lost. And I was very sad. And I told my mom that I thought I was a curse um, on oh. the team. <laughs> But I definitely relate to that with the Raptors because uh, it's oh, like yeah. they become when you fall for a sports team, which the Raptors was the first time that it really happened to be. I love the Olympics, but I, I just can't keep up with the leagues. Um, but like you feel like you know them in a way or like, you know, like I'll be watching a, a little video with them. And I'm like, oh, Abaka, you know, he's <laughs> he's right? like that. And <laughs> you develop this weird connection to them uh, that's very like it, it's really rooted in like a sense of place and a sense of community too, and cheering for them. So seeing Leafs fans and I'm sure we have many Leafs fans listening to this was uh, quite a different change of perspective for me. And yeah, you know, when you make a case like that, it's pretty, pretty compelling. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's indescribable it's just this like you said it's the sense of community and especially one with like the maple leafs where they've been so bad for so long it's like we, we have all bonded through you know <laughs> some really terrible shit together <laughs> and come out all the stronger for it connecting back to to calgary and um so the first you may you mentioned this to me once the first professional you show show you saw in calgary was Alberta Theatre Projects. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we talked about this a little bit on the podcast, but like many other artists and actors, um, you yourself personally experienced a contract cancellation um, with a contract with ATP um, that was supposed to be happening this spring uh, for a show called Cowgirl Up. Uh, what was the first show you saw at ATP? And do you remember what that experience was like? And yeah, what was it about this company that years later made you put them at the top of your list as kind of, you know, a dream company to work with and, and that hopefully post COVID that opportunity will happen again. Right. Um, I don't know if I could remember exactly what the first show was, mm. but uh, my mom has been a season ticket holder at ATP since we moved to Calgary when I was 12. So we've been going to the shows like the whole time I lived in Calgary, she still has seasons tickets there. Um, 
so for me it was just kind of this special place where you know I got to share theater with with my mom and and that's something that's really special because not not everyone who gets into the arts is necessarily supported by their parents in their decision but knowing that my mom was you know going all in for me and I, I don't know if she would have necessarily been a season's ticket holder if I didn't also have interest in theater but regardless her showing support in that way meant so much to me and it and being able to book this contract was just such a special full circle moment and uh and you know hopefully it, it ends up happening um sometime soon but uh <laughs> like I'm getting emotional um but yeah it, it's just this special place for me that um that made me fall in love with theater because I was I was at the point when I was 12 where I it was the first time I had ever been in a school where I had drama class as well. So my interest in theater kept growing and growing and growing once we moved to Calgary and uh, started going to those shows. And even like school field trips would sometimes go to ATP. So it was just this, it's this very special place. And I'm curious, like, I know, you know, we recorded an episode really really close to you learning about the cancellation and and I know that was a lot you know that that morning and grieving of that and I'd love to know and you know maybe for other artists out there who are experiencing the same thing what were some of the ways you took care of yourself um, you know after getting news like that and also of course coping with you know the news of a global pandemic and all the stress and grief that comes with on top of a personal loss of a contract um yeah what were some of the ways you took care of yourself and and recovered from that news yeah I mean I think I'm still trying to completely figure that out of course um it's fresh but yeah it still feels fresh and it's been what a month and a half now Mm -hmm. um I think some of the ways that I've taken care of myself is at first when it when it first occurred I gave myself permission to experience the emotions that I needed to experience. Um, I read this wonderful article about, uh, you know, experiencing grief and emotions and emotions have motion and therefore they need to pass through you. If you lock them up and you keep them inside, then they have nowhere to go and they fester and they get worse. But if you allow your, your body to... Uh, have these emotions pass through you and you express them then you can you can experience many different emotions and hopefully find one that is um a state of of calm and acceptance and and you can move forward that way and so i've just tried to fill my because because i was supposed to be on contract right now um i had nothing for this this eight week chunk and I still have nothing currently in my day. So every day I'm trying to find things to, to pique my interest and creativity and all that. So I'm just trying to, to learn little skills here and there. Like I, I, I bought a crochet uh, hook and some yarn and I'm learning how to crochet and playing the guitar and stuff like that. It's just, Allowing myself to to not try and be busy, but find little things to keep busy, hmm. if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah. I'm not trying to necessarily push myself to do anything huge career-wise, but I'm trying to do little things that make me happy and that will make the day end faster. <laughs> 
if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I love that you're like selecting things that seem to have like a sense of play for you and creativity too, like crochet and guitar. That's really cool. Have you seen, uh, you know, Mel, friend of the pod? Uh, yeah. Mel's been crocheting quite a lot. She made an elephant this week. What? Yeah. It's uh, okay. I'm not. I'm not that good yet. Hey, if you just make a little tube, I love. I don't know how to crochet anymore. I used to, but I would just make like tubes because you could just like make it straight. I don't know how to make an elephant or an animal either, but you're okay. trying, and that's what matters. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, just trying to keep busy that kind of way. Yeah. I don't know. It's still tough. Like, let's be honest. I'm. I. I do wake up. I don't know, most days and, and think, what the hell do I do today? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy. And sometimes I worry that, you know, like with this podcast, for instance, I don't want anyone to think that like I have it all figured out. I've never wanted like on this podcast. Sometimes we talk like we have things figured out. I don't have things figured out. No, <laughs> I want to make that nor, clear. Nor me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I and I think something we're choosing to do with the podcast is is share us sometimes in our mess of figuring it out. Um, yeah. And, you know, speaking of figuring it out, as an improviser, um, <laughs> you know, you, you have a lot of experience doing that on the spot in front of people, in front of a crowd. Um, I have a couple questions about improv, but yeah. I'll lead with um, one of the craziest times I ever made it to a show was to see you in Entrances and Exits at Fringe 2018. Uh, I've told Dylan this story before, so I'll give a Cole's notes. Essentially, I showed up at, you know, 11.53 to Tarragon, and the show was at Factory, and it was the closing show. And I basically looked around Tarragon for like 30 seconds just in shock as I realized my error making it to 11.54, 11.55. Show starts at 12. Uh, ordered an Uber and got in and said, you know, I, I, I don't want to put any pressure on you. But if there is any way you can get me to factory before noon, that would make my life and and I just had a wonderful driver who was just on board for the challenge. She was excited about it. And he, we probably left Tarragon at 11.55. And I got to factory at 11.59. That, that has got to be some kind of record, I swear. Oh, that doesn't even seem possible to me. He was amazing. And like every time we hit a red, he was just like, come on, come on. It was so good. He was wonderful. Anyways, he got me there, and I saw you serve crab face in a very tight spandex leotard. Um, and you got to work with some amazing people in the improv community. And also, um, just a, a person, I don't know if our listeners have heard of, um, Colin Motry. Um, oh, I, I believe it's pronounced Colin Mockery. Oh, Colin Mockery. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, I grew up watching Who's Line. Colin's a treasure. Um, what was it like to work with him and to also, as an improviser, watch the audience respond to him? Because the show I saw, he got like a two minute just ovation for walking on the stage, which in typical Colin Mockery deadpan fashion, just, you know, held it and went to get on with the scene. Um, but what was it like working with him and working on that show? And it's such a unique format. Yeah, absolutely. I'll start by giving the listeners a little bit of, of context for the format of mm-hmm. this improv. Um, it was called Entrances and Exits. It's essentially an improvised farce in two acts, and each act is about 20 minutes. 
the first act takes place in a living room and the second act takes place in a bedroom. And both acts take place over the same period of time. So when lights come up on act one in the living room, theoretically, the lights have come up on act two in the bedroom as well. So in in act two, we flip the scene and you get to see what was happening in the room adjacent to the living room over the same period of time. And and there's a bunch of reveals and it's really funny, hopefully. Um, That that format is extremely difficult to uh, mentally stay on top of. We have someone backstage with a, a marker and a massive piece of paper who keeps track of everybody's entrances and exits so that in act two, we can replicate all the entrances and exits again. It is it is improvised uh, crack cocaine. And this like, was Ruth Goodwin and Liz Johnston and Howlin' Company. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they, they, created, they created this format. Mm. And so, yeah, we got to work with some amazing improvisers, uh, Liz and Ruth being two of them. And we brought on a bunch of other guest stars as well, one of which was Colin Mockery. And same with, same as you, I grew up adoring Colin Mockery. I watched Who's Line. He was my idol. I wanted yes. to be just like him. Yeah. Um, and then when I found out we were going to get to work together, I was just, you know, just... <laughs> Over the moon. Yeah. And I remember the first rehearsal we had with him. Um, we were we were improvising uh, in, in at Bad Dog Theater. We had a, a room to ourselves. We were just we were practicing the format so he could get used to it. And within that improv, I ended up kissing him on the lips. <gasps> Mainly because I really wanted to kiss him on the lips. <laughs> It made sense in the scene, but it really did not need to happen. But he was he was okay with it, just just so everyone knows. He was, he was cool with it. Um, but um, yes, I think I remember the exact show you were talking about when he came on stage and got a massive round of applause. Yeah. Because we were backstage together, and uh, everyone else had already made an entrance, I'm pretty sure. If I'm thinking of the correct show, everybody else had already made an entrance except for me and Colin. We were still backstage together. And I remember looking over at him and saying, oh, God, like, do you have any ideas? I'm not sure how I can add to the story right now. And he just looked at me and said, watch this. He walked on stage, opened the door, walked into the middle of the stage. I think he he grabbed a piece of food or something. Yeah, you're yeah. nodding your head. So yeah. that is correct. He ate a piece of food and like he said, he threw out a one liner, yep. got a massive round of applause just for like, way too long for what he did and and then he walked off stage and he looked at me and he was like how'd you like that (laughs) and i was just like fuck you like you think i could pull that off there's no way You, you only colin mockery could oh my gosh i just couldn't i was so overwhelmed seeing him on stage having grown up watching who's line and like all those classic scenes so i was definitely one of the people in the audience frantically clapping (laughs) we used to say too in that cast that colin could do anything and people will laugh yeah so we we never had to worry (laughs) (laughs) he could do anything i swear to god anything and people will laugh wow that's amazing yeah that's all that time you so you trained in improv at loose moose which is back in calgary that's correct yeah yeah. and second city um Mm -hmm. You know, as someone who is 
you know, in the earlier stages of an improv career, um, what's the hardest thing about improv for you? And that may have changed for you. But and when did you realize that you're kind of good at it? When, when were you like, <laughs> OK, I, I can do this because because I saw that crab face show and I was so impressed by your ability to like, I just felt like you had such a great read on what had happened already in the improv that everyone's building together this big story. And then in the second act, you continued to build on your own joke, but like in such a subtle and brilliant way that didn't steal focus from the scene. And like, you're just very good at sharing the stage as an improviser while also still coming up with something really original and having your moment. Um, Right. Yeah. So when did you realize Um, you were kind of good at it and what's hard about it for you still? Well, I think what was hard with with that show specifically that you're talking about, Entrances Mm -hmm. and Exits, is because we had so many people on stage together, seven improvisers at once. Yeah. Sometimes it's a lot. And if everyone is trying to push the story forward, it can sometimes get very complicated. And so you have to know when you need to be a tertiary character. Mm. So so in the show you're referring to specifically, I was a caterer. Um, who was serving crab face to all the guests. And in my brain, I was like, what's the part of the crab that no one would want to eat? Oh, yeah, the face. Uh, so that's that's <laughs> for any any listeners who are wondering what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> Thanks for um, clarifying, Dylan. I, I don't know, because I still don't necessarily think I'm, I'm, I'm good. I knew you wouldn't. That's why I said kind of good. I gave you a caveat. Or what do you Thank think you. Your, your strengths are? When did you realize you had strengths? When I started at Loose Moose, um, I, I trained under two people, Andrew Fung, who is now uh, on Kim's Convenience, a uh, f- fantastic actor and improviser, mm-hmm. and Jamie Northen. And they were the two people who who mentored me and, and a group of, of other young people at Loose Moose. Um, and they, they did just such a fantastic job of just creating this this great community and involving us in the adult shows as well every once in a while, which was really cool as like a 14, 15 year old to be like every once in a while be included in the adult show, which is so fun. Yeah. Um, and honestly, you talked about the spandex suit that I'm wearing sometimes because I, I don't normally get st- too much stage fright when it comes to doing a, a regular scripted show. But when it comes to improv, I get just insane stage fright. And one of the ways that I combated that was by putting myself basically wearing nothing. So like in a tight spandex suit, (laughs) sometimes I would walk on in just my underwear. And for me, it was just such a great way of of having an icebreaker right off the top where Ah. people are like, oh, this guy's in his underwear. Like, okay. And they'll laugh immediately and it would calm my nerves. And I'd be like, okay, I can do the rest of the thing now. Oh, wow. So like a lot of people will try and picture the audience in their underwear. For me, it was more helpful to just be in my underwear and walk on stage. <laughs> Whoa. That's yeah. wild. Do you have any other tricks that you do? to? I know you're a very physical um, performer. Like if you have to come into a scene, you've just run. I know like you'll really get your body involved in the performance. Um, what other tricks do you use to deal with those jitters before going on stage in, in an improv context? Well, the funny thing with improvisers is a lot of them will drink before a show. Ah, it's this strange thing in improv culture where in a regular theater show, you never see someone having a beer before the show. But before the shows we did with 
with entrances and exits, we would all have a beer together and hang out, do a group warm up. Um, so I found that really helpful. Mm. Um, what was the question again? Like, what other tricks do you have to deal with those jitters or stage fright, like before going on in an improv show context? Right. Yeah, it's very similar to with a scripted show as well. I'll, I'll usually do some sort of running around backstage or push ups. It's it probably sounds really silly to some people, but for me, um, I can get very in my head. Mm-hmm. And so if I put all of my energy into my body, it helps me f- forget about, you know, all these thoughts that are going on and I can enter with just like energy and I can use my physicality to kind of uh, do half of the improv work for me. Ah. So sometimes like entering, just making a strong decision in terms of like how I'm walking on can sometimes lead to so many discoveries that I never would have made if I just walked on neutral with all these ideas in my head about how I wanted to play out the scene. Cool. And I do that all the time. Like you've seen me backstage before entrances. I always try to enter with energy. And so I'll do running around backstage and push-ups and I'll usually enter sweating. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I always found like entrances and exits are very important and uh, and uh yeah often entering with uh with some of that physicality really helps cool and you know i say i've said to you before you know you're a dancer and sometimes you're like uh am i am i not you know but i'm just saying i've seen you in a lot of dancer like uniforms um i found a beautiful (laughs) photo of you on the internet in researching this piece i'll I'll send it to you um and what 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 uh, what stream of the internet were you on uh i cannot say that um on this podcast but you know you were wearing another spandex suit you wear it well um so i'm just curious can you clear up the dancer versus non-dancer question in my mind here why are you hesitant to call yourself a dancer um or why do you when do you claim that title and when do you feel really comfortable with that title as a mover I think the reason why I don't use dancer is because I'm not formally trained. Ah. I took hip hop classes when I was, I think, 11 years old. Oh. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then I did not take any other dance classes until university. And then, like, we, you know, we had to take a, a couple dance classes throughout our theater school training. But I, I'm very hesitant to call myself a dancer because I, if if an actual dancer saw me on stage and they saw my technique, they would laugh at it. <laughs> but um, and I also find mover to be a little bit pretentious, but that's that's probably closer to what I am. <laughs> what do you like? What label do you like as a movement artist? I, I don't know. That even that sounds even more pretentious. <laughs> If you if you add more words to it, it just gets worse. True, true. Um, I, I I guess mover. I guess mover is what I'll go with. And I don't know. I think because I I grew up doing so many athletics, I've always looked at theater as also being an athletic activity, and that's why like I I try to be a very physical performer. But I I got into these dance shows just because I commit really hard. You do. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I did a show with Rock Bottom Movement, who, if you haven't heard of them, they do very kind of clown-like, absurdist dance. Um, and so I did a show with them, and by the end of the show, I would just be bleeding. Like, my knees would be bleeding, oh. and because <laughs> yeah, I would just commit so hard, and I had zero technique, so I didn't know how to do things <laughs> without injuring myself. 
my god. Um, so yeah, I did a, a dance show with them, and then I did a dance show with Lemon Tree Creations, and I got to work with William Young, who's this brilliant choreographer. Um, and again, I just like commit as hard as I possibly could, and I try to think of of those kinds of performances as being athletics. Mm. Um, so yeah, and 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 obviously just practice really hard in order to to you know fake it till you make it. <laughs> Wow, that's awesome! I can't believe you're bleeding. Um, <laughs> yeah, like seriously, and my, the suit I was wearing in that rock bottom show was white spandex. That's the so photo. You could, I've you could got. see the blood. <laughs> I've got that photo. It's on my desktop. Uh, oh God! That, well, that was the one. I'll send. We'll we'll talk about. Um, okay. So you often ask this question of our guests. So I would mm-hmm. like to turn the mic back to you. We touched on it a little bit with you know uh, pre-show jitters or dealing stage right and improv show, but if you're doing scripted shows. Um, what is your pre-show ritual? Nice. Um, yeah, I'll usually, I, I don't really think about any time before, like an hour and a half before the show, mm-hmm. but usually the hour and a half before a show, there'll be some sort of snack involved, light snack. I cannot eat before a performance. I get, I don't know. I just, I just can't put food into my stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually do uh, maybe about 20 minutes of cardio Mm-hmm. Just to kind of loosen up my body, I'll do some stretching for about thirty minutes, do a little bit of a vocal warm up for maybe twenty, and then here's the key: foot roller. Whoa! Tell me more. Um, I got a foot roller maybe last year, and it changed how I get ready for shows and for auditions. It's I I didn't know this, but I carry a lot of tension in my feet. I, I, I cracked a bone in my foot oh. in first year university. Um, I jumped off of a car. Dylan. It was not it was not a moving vehicle, but it was <laughs> it was just a drunken escapade. <laughs> and um, and I don't know if that's if that's the reason or if whatever, but I do carry a lot of tension in my feet. And so I use this foot roller before going on stage and I find it really grounds me and I can feel the entire floor or my, my shoe or whatever I'm wearing for a particular performance so well after I've rolled out my feet and it releases all this tension and I can, yeah, I feel very grounded and just rooted in, in before an entrance, before beginning uh, the show. Yeah. That's a new one. I got to try this out. I love it. I, I will live and die by it. Rep it before forever. every audition now too. Foot roll. Do you roll yeah. in the waiting room? Do you roll? Yeah, before? I will. Nice foot yeah. roller, folks. You heard it here first. <laughs> so, well, last question before we head into the talkback because sure. uh, we had a massive amount of talkback questions. Oh um, yeah. We had a record break. You received the most questions of anyone we've. <laughs> Well, I I paid all the people. Oh, that's how you did it. That's I, the key. I see. Yeah, snaky. Um, Just kidding. So, last question. I would love to know um, if you could go back in time to mm-hmm. when you were just graduating theater school, and give yourself a piece of advice or some words of wisdom. Um, what would you say to your younger self? Oh man, that is such a good question. Um, Man, if I could go back like a year, <laughs> I'm sure if I look back five years from now, I'll say the same thing again. If, oh, if I could go back, I guess for where I am right now in my life, if I could look back, 
um, it's tough because I don't necessarily think that theater school did a very good job preparing me to be a professional actor. Mm. I think they did a really good job of preparing me to to be a better actor, but not to be a better professional. Mm. And so I graduated and I didn't I didn't update my headshots for like two years after I graduated. And the first headshot I had was from first year university. So, so dated. It was not good. Um, I had zero audition technique whatsoever. I didn't even have good audition pieces chosen once I graduated. My, my pieces I had for Theatre Ontario were like terrible like no I had no coaching in terms of like oh this is a good piece versus this is a bad piece like I was so unprepared um I didn't have you know like the I didn't have the email subscription to the audition postings I didn't know about anything so it took me like probably two years to finally be at the point where I needed to be once I graduated Mm. so if I could go back to that version of myself I would say don't forget that this is more than just the onstage component. Ah. There's so much more involved in being an actor and people look at actors and they think, oh, what an easy job. You get to go and you get to have fun. But there's so much hustle involved. And I did not realize that. And mm. it, it took me a while to, to, to realize that. And of course, like now looking back, like I'm probably going to look back on this version of myself and be like, yo, Dylan, like take a deep breath. Like you don't have to hustle. Like, and I think this, this pause right now of this quarantine is really helping with that. Like I do feel much more relaxed and I, I feel like I have a lot more perspective, um, and, and, and less, uh, career anxiety in a way, in a strange way, because right now, like I have no idea what's going to happen with my career. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel kind of a sense of calm in a way where like when we come back, I think I'm going to be a little bit more confident in myself and know that like I don't necessarily need, you know, like I don't need to book that this job or that job. It's like, what is, what are the things in life that make me happy? And like, let's just try and fulfill those things. For me, success is not about, um, I need to be successful to be happy. It's I need to be happy to be successful. Mm. If if I'm able to fill my life with things like hockey and uh, creativity, whether it, whether it is on stage or film or just like cr- doing projects at home, if, you know, like ha- having a fantastic partner and cat and like making good food and exercising, like that is successful to me. Like we have mm-hmm. this podcast we started um, if I'm doing the things that I love, that's success. And like, that's going to, that's happiness. I don't need to have career success to be happy about where I am. Yes. Love it. I don't it. know if that answered your question at all. It did. It did. It's like you were looking forward to future Dylan too. I loved it. <laughs> so, yeah. wow. Thank you so much, Dylan. So now we are going to toss it over to the talk back. Let's play our little intro here. Uh, talk back. So we have, and I will use the technical term, a shitload of questions. <laughs> Whoa. We just almost lost our recording equipment. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I almost so, spat. I was taking a drink of water and I almost spat all over. 
So, you know, you know how this goes. So I'll leave it to you to determine the shortness or the length of the questions. I'll cue you in a couple. I've organized okay. them. Also, dear friends out there, if you submitted multiple questions and some of them didn't make it in, I apologize. But thank you so much. I had to make some tough calls here. <laughs> I trust you, Bailey. So the first series of questions comes from at Paolo underscore Santa Lucia. Oh, God. I'm going to challenge you to give be a little succinct with these, but I know they're deep ones. So how does it feel to be representing Serbian people on stage? <laughs> Am I answering this? Oh, you're answering it. Uh, I don't think I could possibly say that I represent Serbian people on stage <laughs> because that would be a huge insult to people who grew up there and who are like really ingrained in the culture there. My mom is Serbo-Croatian, uh, so <laughs> I cannot speak for all Serbian people. Which might make your next question challenging because the next question oh, is, God. how does it feel to be a Serbo-Canadian icon? <laughs> <laughs> Once again, um, <laughs> people who grew up in Serbia do not look at me that way. <laughs> Paolo continues asking, how do you, Dylan, juggle your cultural fame in grocery shopping? It can be difficult. I, mm. I do get spotted quite often um, by my fellow Serbs. Um, <laughs> I, I should say, can I just make a quick little Please. side note here? So my mom is Serbo-Croatian, her dad is Serbian, and her mom is Croatian. And if you have any idea about the history of that area of the world, it's all part of former Yugoslavia, which um, there's a lot of uh, animosity between the different regions of former Yugoslavia. And I like to say that my grandma and my grandpa are kind of like Romeo and Juliet, uh, the Serb Serbian and the Croatian getting together, the Capulet and the Montague. It's beautiful. It's a story as old as time. Beauty Aww. and the Beast. <laughs> What's it like being Serbia's first Spider-Man? <laughs> um, it, it's it's truly an honor. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to start learning the language because uh, Marvel... Uh, 2025 yeah. is doing Serbian Spider-Man and it's it's going to be amazing. Wow. Wow. From two noble houses to now. Um, at Jay Rizzuti asks, mm -hmm. why did you get into acting and what's your favorite area of acting, theater, film, etc.? Great question. Uh, to answer this quickly, uh, my uncle is an experimental filmmaker in Toronto, and my aunt, uh, up until very recently, lived in L.A. as an actor. And so the arts were always kind of part of my upbringing. And yeah, so th those two were kind of my inspiration. Also, my dad is just a class clown, and my <laughs> mom is one of the most amazing people in the entire world, and they really fostered a kind of love for the arts. Um, <laughs> what was the second part? Uh, and oh, what's your what's favorite area? Uh, theater is always my number one, my, my first love. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Also big shout out to your circle K commercial. Loved it. Um, <laughs> at Melanie Ellen asks friend of the pod, uh, mm -hmm. can you explain the difference between niceness and kindness and why it's important to differentiate between the two? Ooh, I know. Oh my goodness. I know. Um, I think, uh, Oh, man, I think kindness is probably requires more work. Uh, I think it it it's easy to be nice to people, but to be kind, I think of going above and beyond. And, uh, oh, man, this is a really tough question. I know. Oh, God, Mel, you're really putting me on the spot here. 
Uh, I think it's important to differentiate between the two because I think some people really uh, need other people to do acts of kindness and more than just words of niceness. <laughs> acts of kindness, words of niceness versus words of niceness. There you go. There Quote you me go. on that. <laughs> Printed on a t-shirt. That's your one on the grid. Um, it's it's funny trying to like come up with a very strong opinion on something that you have never even thought about before. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Mel. Mel also asks, um, and it's a common question, so you have a good eye and ear for editing. Have you given any thought to pursuing um, work in TV and film as a director? I, I have thought about it. I think for myself, I have a bit of a mental block when it comes to directing because in grade 12, we had to do a director's project. We had to direct a short play about 20 minutes long. And uh, not that I think that my, my play was bad, but we had a little bit of a disaster at the end of the presentation where the, it's supposed to end with just one lamp on stage and it's it's kind of a, a thriller and the lamp sets this kind of drama as someone goes in to kill another person. But one of my actors tripped over the lamp cord and unplugged it. So we had to finish the entire show in complete blackness. Oh. And because and, I just didn't think to tape the, the, the plug shut. Um, and so I have a bit of a mental block when it comes to diving back into directing just because of that one experience. But I, I do think that in the future, it is something that I would like to get into. Yes. Nice. Um, at Maya Adria Popovich mm-hmm. asks Hi, Maya. for you to tell us the real story behind the spot. I keep wanting to say spider, spider tine, but it's spider teen because it's like quarantine. So yeah, tell us the story correct. about Spider-Teen. Uh, yeah, so for anyone who hasn't seen, I made a short two-minute video of me wearing a Spider-Man suit, and I just filmed myself doing different activities throughout the day in quarantine. And the story behind it is very simple. Um, Andrew Fung, who is one of my mentors in improv uh, and dear friend, uh, he bought me the suit so that I could come to his son's birthdays party both his sons birthdays parties birthday parties and <laughs> and uh, I dressed up as Spider-Man I pretended to be Spider-Man and I told them stories and whatever we hung out for a little bit and I got to keep the suit so I decided to put it on one day and I just filmed myself doing all the things I probably would have done anyway with a couple little twists that maybe only Peter Parker would do um, yeah, that's the story behind it. And I'm, I'm coming up with a spider teen too. So look forward to that. Yes, I definitely am looking forward to it. It was so fun. Um, continuing on our Spider-Man vein. So at Jeff TDS asks yeah. when you're cast as Peter in the penultimate Spider-Man remake, will you Serbia 2025? <laughs> will you petition Jeff to play your Venom? Oh, absolutely. I think Jeff would make a fantastic Venom. And also, he's constantly being typecast as a villain. So let's just continue on that. He would be perfect. (laughs) Uh, Jumping off that as well, building on it, Jeff and Tony Afori at Tony.Afori asked a very similar question. So Jeff asked, uh, what do you think has been the most rewarding role you've played? And Tony Mm. asks, what's uh, been one of your favorite projects? So I thought those two kind of connected. So you can answer yeah, either or both for sure yeah um i th- i think probably the most rewarding 
wouldn't be in theater. I, I did a short film um, called Tiny House, and it's based on a true story about this guy named Lee uh, who has multiple sclerosis, MS. And that story re- really resonated with me. Um, even when I was applying uh, for the role, when I submitted my headshot and resume, I wrote them a little letter because my aunt also has MS. She was diagnosed, I think, in her early 20s, and she's she's lived with it her whole life. Mm. Um, and it's a, it's a really, really terrible disease. Um, but uh, I got to meet the real-life Lee, and I got to play him as he learns about his diagnosis, and he eventually ends up building himself a tiny house to live in that is retrofit for someone who is living with MS. Wow. So he has a pulley system to help get him out of bed. He has railings built into the tiny house. And uh, his story was just really inspiring to me. And we still keep in touch to this day. We'll send each other messages. Um, and I think uh, it was also one of my best performances because there was a real person on the other end of it who I had to honor. I had to honor his story. And so it just brought a lot of truth to it. And uh, that's probably the most rewarding. Wow. Wow. Yeah. At Sarah Sem. Mm-hmm. And Tony Afori asked similar questions. So Sarah asked, what's a dream role you have? And Tony Afori asked about a dream project you might have. So role Ooh. and project. Dreaming. Dream big. Um, I don't know if there's a specific character other than maybe Iago. I've always wanted to play Iago in Othello. Um, I, I really like villains. So maybe to answer their question, I often get typecast as the good guy. I would love to play some villains. So maybe maybe Jeff and I can switch our typecast <sighs> roles. Um, I would really like to play some bad guys. Also, I would love to play like... I would love to play a character in some sort of fantasy Ooh. play or movie. Fantasy is my favorite genre. So yeah, something like that. Maybe a wizard <gasps> or like a dark wizard. There we go. Dark wizard. Yes, dark wizard. At Chase Jeffels asks, why are you so funny? <laughs> uh, great question, Chase. Uh, also one that is nearly impossible to answer <laughs> uh, because there is instantly pressure to try and be funny with my response. Truly. But because there's so much pressure, it's impossible to live up to that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say stay tuned. <laughs> Maybe I'll come up with an answer. At F. Bosha asks, yeah. Salut, Felix. Salut, Felix. What's the funniest or most embarrassing thing that has happened to you on stage? <laughs> I, I feel like Felix is setting me up for something right now, a story that he really likes. Um, do you mind if I take maybe two minutes to answer this question properly? Is it the clown story? It is the clown story. You know about this? It, it I do. I do know about the clown story. And... Felix really wanted the clown story. He actually included it in one of his questions. So I'm going to actually take your clown story and we're going to pop that right at the end. How's that sound oh, to you? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you want me to hold off? Oh, yeah. Because I want okay. that clown story, but I don't want you to feel rushed. I want you to be able to tell it at its fullest. Okay. Uh, okay. Felix also asks, what are the things you do daily or weekly to stay active artistically? I don't know if I do anything daily. I'm not very good with routine when it comes to being creative. I find uh, creativity comes to me in little waves. uh, And it's kind of hard to force sometimes into my routine. Um, 
right now to stay creative. I'm just doing little writing stuff just for myself. I have no intention of, of doing anything with it. Nice. Um, a Bosha at yeah. A Bosha asks, do you remember the time that there were 40,000 40, clowns at the cottage? <laughs> Wild. Uh, so what Antoine Beauchamp is making reference to, and this is Felix's brother, so salut Antoine. Salut Antoine. Um, we were at their cottage in Quebec, and we were sitting in the hot tub, and it was very late at night, and th- they live basically right on the brink of a very, very deep, dark forest, and it's kind of spooky. And I think it was myself, but I don't want to take credit for it in case I'm wrong, but someone said... Uh, what would you do if 40,000 clowns just emerged out of the woods right now? How scary would that be? And uh, maybe, okay, so this is a good way to answer Chase's question as well. Specificity is funny. So 40,000 clowns is just a completely inconvenient number of clowns. So inconvenient. (laughs) It's also very specific, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) So I, I think it was maybe Tina Fey who said... Pinot Grigio is always funnier than white wine. Yes. So specificity is just funny. So when it comes to numbers, saying something like 40,000 clowns versus 1,000 is way funnier. Wow. Excellent callback, Dylan. Good Thank job. You. Nice way of knitting that in. Um, we're entering a small subsection of the talkback because we did receive several questions along two themes. So I'm going to just hum a, a mashup ditty and you're going to tell me if you can guess what this subsection is about. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. Dun, 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 dun. Harry Potter. Dun, 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 da, da, da. Lord of the Rings. Na, na, na. That's correct. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> wow, people know me so well. So, at Emilio Vieira asks, where was Gondor when the Westfold fell? Oh, seriously, though. So, for anyone who does not, is not a fan of Lord of the Rings, you might be alienated right now, and I'm, I would like to apologize. because so some Sometimes when I'm listening to podcasts and they really dive into something I'm not familiar with, it, it is, it's tough. But, um... <laughs> Gondor really let down Rohan in the past, and Rohan rides to Gondor's aid (laughs) in The Return of the King. And that's why I've always really resonated with the people of Rohan. They're just extremely loyal. They're salt-of-the-earth kind of people. They love their horses. And, uh, yeah, so there you go. (laughs) Sweet. Uh, At Melanie Ellen uh, writes in saying, I once wrote a Lord of the Rings fan fiction where this character, a.k.a. a warrior me, falls in love with Mary and Faramir. Between these two characters, who would you choose? Who who would I choose? Yes. So who would I get with if I was a warrior? As a lover. Which love would overtake the love of the other? I mean, I don't understand why it has to overtake, but, you know. Why can't he just have both? Yeah. I mean, the thing with Faramir is he is also a warrior. So, I mean, if you want to be with someone who's very similar to you, then go with Faramir. And also, you know, he's he's not, not quite a prince, but he has very high rank. Uh, and Mary is just, you know, good, hearty person, you know, living in the Shire, very simple kind of people who who just love farming and smoking pipe weed. <laughs> um, 
I, I think I, I would, for me personally, if I was a warrior, I would love to come home to a life like what Mary lives. Just return to the Shire, you know, go, go into my little hobbit hole, which although if I'm a warrior, I might be a fully grown person, which might be difficult to live in the Shire. <laughs> I don't know. We're getting really complicated here. Um, but probably both. <laughs> yeah. Mel, let us know which way your fan fiction turns. Both, either, both, either. Who knows? Um, at Sasa Popovich asks, if you could get beers with one character from Harry Potter and one from Lord of the Rings, who would you choose? Oh, love this question. I've often thought about who I would share a beer with. Um, in, in the Lord of the Rings, it would have to be Gimli. Wow. Just because... You know, the, the dwarves, they know how to drink. They know how to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Gimli is a really fun person to hang around with, enjoys the drinking games, can sing a good song. Dwarves notoriously love roaring fires and meat off the bone. Uh, and I think that'd be a really fun evening with, with, with Gimli. Uh, in Harry Potter universe, it's tough. I, I think it's a tie between either Hagrid oh. or Dumbledore. Yeah. I think Hagrid would be really fun, maybe for very similar reasons as Gimli. You know, have a little butterbeer with. Um, I think I like bearded men, clearly. Yeah, um, <laughs> seeing a pattern here. <laughs> um, maybe hang out with some cool magical creatures, like, you know, have a couple, couple butterbeers, then hop on a, a hippogriff or something. Who knows? Perfect. Um, but with Dumbledore, he's very whimsical, and most of the time we see Dumbledore, he's dealing with very serious matter. But he's got this kind of very aloof way of dealing with things, especially the way the character is written, not necessarily the way the character is played in the later movies yes. by Michael Gambon, I think is his name. I, I think so. The original Dumbledore died, and then... yes. Yeah. We'll, anyway. edit, we'll edit a piece in if we're wrong about this. <laughs> <laughs> we won't. <laughs> anyway, I think it'd be really fun to hang out with him and, and just have, have a have a butter beer, eat some Birdie Bots Heavy Flavored Beans and just, you know, talk shop. I just want to, you know, and I think my, my, my friend group is really missing a 150-year-old man. So <laughs> what house are you, Dylan? I'm a Hufflepuff, of course. Of course, of course. I feel like we've talked about this, but I never tire of hearing it. Okay, uh, last one before your clown story. At skr.dance.yoga, a.k.a. Sam. Um, Hey, Sam. Hey, Sam. Says, give us a taste of your Severus Snape impression. (laughs) She would. Okay, here we go. Clearly, clearly. Hold on. My my, my key word... Anyone who's like with does accents or impressions, there's usually a phrase that will bring you into the accent or or whatever dialect. And for me, it's saying clearly as Severus Snape. Clearly, clearly, fame isn't everything. <laughs> I, I don't know. That's a little bit rough. I haven't warmed up. It's okay. It's a work in progress. Clearly. Oh, it's a little rough. It's okay. You know, I, I can do better than that. I felt that way with the dolphin sound. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I like that that's your phrase. Fantastic. Thank you for that one, Sam. Thank you for bringing that into our lives. Um, oh, God. And so your last calling back to Felix's question about the funniest or most embarrassing thing oh, yes. that's happened to you on stage, which we correctly sussed out, is pointing towards a clown gig story that yeah. you should share. So... Uh, 
let's be honest, most of my experiences are embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> this one happens to be particularly embarrassing, and I still have nightmares about this one. Um, I created a clown routine with my dear friend Kevin Forster in university. I, I won't give away what the routine was about yet. Okay. But we graduated university and maybe a year out of school, we were contacted by one of our professors, Perry Schneiderman, who told us that he had a friend who was responsible for launching a new park in Toronto, in Allen Gardens. And for the park launch, they wanted to bring in different entertainers. And Perry, who was not our clown teacher, so he didn't, I don't think he ever actually saw our clown routine. I was like, oh yeah, these guys, they have a good routine, like they'll come in and do it. And we didn't really know what we were signing up for, so we showed up on the day of, we get into this park, and we realize that we're, we're completely screwed. Because opening up for us is Sharon, Lois, and Bram, who if you're familiar with them, they do skin-a-ma-rinky-dinky-dink, skin-a-ma-rinky-doo. Anyway, that song. That was like the oh shit moment because the park was just filled with children and I don't know how we didn't see this coming. And here's the problem. Our clown routine is not suitable for children. Our clown routine is four chairs set up on stage, and on each chair, there are three bras. And our routine is set to the final countdown, and we take bras off of the chairs with one hand, and then our left hand, and then no hands, and then with our mouth. It's just the whole routine is us taking bras off of these chairs. And then the host came up on stage and said, all right, next up, we have a very special performance for all the children. And we're like, oh no, like what are we? We did not change a single thing from our routine. We performed it exactly as it was meant to be performed. And it opens up with us stretching our fingers to prepare. And I stretch my middle fingers. So I showed my middle fingers to all the kids. Bailey Green, I kid you not, parents were covering their children's eyes. People were leaving. It was it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had on stage. Oh, my God. And then at the end, uh, the host came over to pay us because we got paid to do this. Yeah. And you could tell he just did not want to give us the money, but he had no choice. He was like, well, here you go. It was it was so awful. Rough. Most Rough. embarrassing time I've ever had on stage. <laughs> and sometimes I'll look back on that experience too. If I'm ever nervous to go on stage and be like, you know what? Nothing could ever be worse than that. It's good to go up, you know? Yeah. All right, Dylan, that wraps our talk back. Thank you to everyone for submitting a billion questions. And if your question didn't get shouted at, I'm so sorry, but there were literally so many. You're all wonderful. Thank you for listening. Okay, Dylan, it's that time. It's time for the soapbox. Your time starts now. I would like to dedicate my soapbox to all of the listeners. Anytime you're creating content, producing something, you just want people to show up. You want people to listen. And I want to thank each and every one of you for listening to our podcast. 
we weren't sure what kind of response we were going to get when we created this thing. And from the very get-go, we were just blown away. We know that there's so much content out there for you to consume. And every time I see someone has listened to the podcast or sends us a message, like I cannot tell you how much joy it brings us. That's the reason why we do it. We do it for you. And we want to thank you so much. You're the absolute best listeners in the world. Um, We love hearing from you. Although we're probably going to take a break coming up here for a little bit, we want you to... Uh, contact us if you ever need us because we're here for you and we love you and that is my time well i couldn't have said it any better myself well everyone that is dylan an actor a mover he'll concede to podcast host improviser the original real person dylan the time has come you can pin our badge to your shirt or backpack or saddlebag with pride thank you so much for being so open and courageous and funny i agree chase jeffels and just a wonderful wonderful person to work with friend and colleague well thank you for the kind words (laughs) not just nice kind um so we are so excited to share our season finale with you next time. Stay tuned. Watch the space. Two weeks. Please remember to, uh, if you like an episode, please share it, recommend it, word of mouth, send a link, like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, where can they find us on social media, Dylan? Uh, you can find us on Instagram at realpeople.notactors. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Twitter at not underscore actors you can also send us an email we would love to get back to that as soon as possible at rp no podcast dot rpna at gmail.com oh boy thank you to maya popovich for our photos jay duras o'hara for the talk back sing uh brett caloran for ongoing audio support and james smith for our intro music We will be back in two weeks' time. We're going to do a best of episode. Uh, So we're really excited for that. Yes. And uh, stay tuned. Stay real. And stay real. Stay tuned. Stay real. Stay healthy. Stay happy. Stay safe. Stay safe. Love you guys. We love you. Love you. Wow.